Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. I don't think you can lead if you haven't got a direction, so you need a purpose. But I think too many people, whether they know it or not, have a purpose that's about them. And I don't think that's good leadership because I don't think anyone has a right to commit other people to their own selfish goals. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Renee Meyer. Renee is the CEO of Foodworks Sheffield, a social enterprise that aspires to create a more sustainable and fair food system. Foodworks prevents up to a tonne of surplus food from going to waste every single day working with a small team of staff who support around 200 volunteers. Renee joined Foodworks when it was founded in 2015 as a real junk food project Sheffield and became its current CEO in 2019. Renee joins us today to share his insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Renee. It's great to have you with us. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about the organisation. So first question, can you tell us a little bit about Foodworks and what you're working towards, please, what it stands for? Yeah, so we're ultimately about a fairer, more sustainable food system. Um, so we were set about eight years ago, uh, originally as a, a food waste campaign, because the wastefulness in the food system is a is an issue that leads to lots of other problems. And then over the past couple of years, that's... Um, exploded into lots of other things but ultimately it's about improving a food system fantastic and and as a leader of that kind of organization certainly in the in the climate that we're in at the moment what kind of challenges are you up against currently yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean it, it it ranges i guess from some challenges that are really practical uh to something a bit more ideological i suppose so on a real practical level i think you know this summer has brought home the severity and immediacy of a lot of crises that we're facing at the moment. There's obviously a crisis in in terms of uh, climate change, and we've seen record temperatures this summer that made it very clear that things are definitely changing, and that's mm-hmm. a problem. Um, but we've seen issues with food supply and resilience, partially maybe due to Brexit or the Ukraine, or it doesn't really matter, but ultimately the resilience in our food system is not as good as we need it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, obviously, coming home right now with fuels bills changing and all that sort of thing, you know, the the, the cost of living crisis and the uh, ability of everyone to access the food that they need to be happy and healthy, like all those things are an increasing problem. And and so food is in the heart of all, at the heart of a lot of things at the moment. So practically speaking, we're just yeah trying to trying to find a way to meet all those challenges which is not straightforward really um on an ideological level the 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 interconnectedness of all these things sometimes makes it very difficult as well so uh, one example is um for instance the from an environmental point of view the fact that supermarkets are changing some of the labeling practices, uh, for instance, by not putting dates on fresh produce is a positive change and supermarkets are trying to waste less. And so environmentally, that's a great thing and something we absolutely support. But on a practical level, because all of this has sort of over the past years built up into basically uh, a way to prop up the massive poverty in the country, there's now a reliance for a lot of organizations to actually need this surplus food 
to feed people who can't feed themselves through the regular system. And so, so it's really complicated to sort of navigate the challenges of sort of around poverty and fairness and, and the environment and to find solutions that work for both of those uh, sort of issues. And they're often conflated as well. So that makes it quite hard. Yeah, absolutely. I saw, I saw a statistic. I can't quite remember the the detail of it, but the the amount of food that was given to food banks from supermarkets has decreased dramatically. And I think that when you talk about the interconnectedness, that's probably related to the fact that they're no longer using the 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 best before dates. Is that is that linked? Is that fair? Yeah, that's part of it, and and part of it is also like ultimately the the waste in the system. Is a mm-hmm. conscious choice by food businesses, right? And it's a, co- a choice that's made on the basis of profitability. So as soon as it's no longer yeah. profitable to deal with food, then you are happy to accept food being wasted because you have an opportunity to make more profit elsewhere. Yeah. And so when the cost of food rises, mm-hmm. then the point at which you're willing to waste it uh, you know that gets that that changes, and so it's partially also because food is just um, it is rising in price and is sometimes becoming more scarce due to import problems and all that sort of thing. So there's several things feeding into it, but overall there is less waste in the system at the moment. Okay, okay, and and so in terms of the the challenges that you're addressing as an organisation, can you talk to me about what you're doing to address those challenges? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So ultimately, our our goal is to inspire people that change is possible. No, I'm I'm not going to change the world. Food works is not going to change the world. Um, but I think ultimately, if we inspire enough people that we can do things differently, like we need a critical mass of people to uh, I don't know feel a bit less hopeful and being shown an alternative way of doing things because it's very easy in this day and age to think. Well, I don't really like this ultra-capitalist, careless society, but what am I going to do about it? And should I even vote? And, you know, so so ultimately that's our goal is to, is to inspire people that we can do something different. And so we do that ba- really by showing that it's possible. So we deliver a lot of food services across um, Sheffield. Mm-hmm. We deliver those in a way that's, that's different. And we hope that that inspires people to... Um, to see that difference is possible and that they can join in and sort of yeah join the movement. So what that looks like is uh, we we pick up a lot of surplus food. So we work with businesses to uh, redistribute their their food. Yeah. It's about um, well this year will probably be about a thousand tons per year. Um, we grow our own food um, and all this food is used to uh, run uh, community cafes to provide um, freshly cooked ready meals to provide shops in our market, uh, like like a, a fish box, basically people can pick up. Um, and, and all that food is available for a donation that people can make their own decision about in terms of what they feel they can afford or what they want to contribute to the cause, so to speak. So it's a slightly different economy, basically, that allows... The idea is that everyone can get what they need if they can contribute what they can. It's very linked in a way to... Um, as well to sort of maybe restoring some idea of mutual aid and community values. You know, if we if we maybe can't rely on the system, we can maybe still rely on each other. And it's really 
nice in a way maybe over the pandemic period to see people reconnecting with that so mm-hmm. so yeah so we we run cafes where people can eat socially we we provide shops we provide ready meals we work with community partners who then make us ready meals available in uh, at the moment 12 locations throughout the city um so yeah anything with food and we do it basically yeah. <laughs> amazing and and your own journey into leadership then it says how how did that journey start? Because looking back through your, um, obviously looked at your LinkedIn profile, you've got a background in education, haven't you? And that's yeah. that's where your career sort of started. So how did that evolution take place? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that was a good question. I had to think about it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I ever really wanted to be a, a leader in that sense. I'm not sure I identify with that still very comfortably. Um, okay. I'm, I'm always... I've always been a very curious person wanting to sort of figure out how stuff works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess from figuring out how stuff works or how I thought it worked, I became quite opinionated about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and sometimes I'm really frustrated with how things were working. And I do have a really strong sense of, I guess, you know, justice, I suppose. So when things were wrong or things were, I don't know, not optimal, <laughs> then... I would get very frustrated with that. And so that slowly got me into a position where I tried to take charge of things. Um, in the first instance, in a really bad way, I would say, you know, um, there's more to being a leader than being right, being right about something or, or you know, like it, it, it's, for, it's actually much more about people, I think. So, so I spent quite a bit of time sort of in managerial roles in, like you said, in education and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in a lot of ways, I wasn't very good at that, if I'm honest. Um, and um, so, yeah, I worked in colleges, I worked in universities to um, be head of e-learning, uh, design learning spaces and, and run uh, libraries and spaces like that. Um, and, and then the food thing sort of happened a bit by accident. So my partner had a, a big sort of life-changing illness, was reconsidering some life choices, I suppose, Um and then started the campaign that would ultimately become Foodworks. And I just got sucked into that because I wanted to support the person I loved with what she was doing. And then increasingly, I found a lot of really good things in in um, in what we were doing. And it grew into this massive organization that um, she didn't really want to run because she was more of a campaigner, I suppose. And I increasingly started to enjoy it. And it wasn't until I sort of accidentally got sucked into that role because she didn't really want it that I and I guess also maybe working with volunteers because yeah most of what we do is all with volunteers and you Mm -hmm. can't yeah you can get away with a lot of stuff if you're a manager running an organization with paid staff but you can't get away with those things when you're running an organization that runs on volunteers Mm -hmm. so I guess it forced me to learn about how to really work with people and what it really means to manage and to lead because now I have no choice I suppose <laughs> yeah and so so what kind of lessons did you learn in those early days because it sounds as though it's pretty much a baptism of fire an unexpected entry into leadership role what what, what lessons did you learn early on well humility is a good value <laughs> I think ultimately uh like I said earlier it is all about people I think and you're only mm-hmm. like there everyone has their limits and um and it's very easy, in particular when you're young, I guess, to feel very uh, overconfident about yourself and all the things you can do. 
but but no one can do anything by themselves in this world and so you have to rely on other people and so so for me the most important things was a to recognize that i needed other people mm -hmm. um and then to be comfortable relying on other people and seeing the value in investing in them even if maybe in the first instance they weren't really maybe always doing things the way i thought they might need to be done or as good as I thought they could be done or whatever. But, you know, it's, investing in the people around you is really, really important. And, yeah, that's been really critical to me um, still doing this, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and so in terms, you mentioned humility was a, a characteristic that was, that was key. And I think everybody has to sort of recognise that in a leadership role if, if you want to be a successful leader with longevity. But in terms of your definition of a great leader, what other characteristics are there? Is it is it case by case or do you think all strong leaders need to have certain characteristics? Yeah, I think it's a difficult one. I, I, for me, I think ultimately me maybe the the key thing for me is someone with a purpose bigger than themselves that's a really important thing mm -hmm. I, I don't think you can lead if you haven't got a direction so you need a purpose but i think too many people whether they know it or not have a purpose that's about them and i don't think that's good leadership because i don't think anyone has a right to um commit other people to their own selfish <laughs> goals so so having having a purpose bigger than yourself i think is 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 key i think it's also really important to have a strong sense of values and, and and a willingness to make the hard choices that come from those values and be consistent about those. And I think you need to be able to inspire and invest in people. Okay. I would I would concur. Is that all learned organically or was there an experience earlier on in your career that sort of shaped your approach to leadership? Where does that come from? Uh and it's completely contrary to everything I was 10 years ago. Interesting. I'm not sure where, to, I, I think it's it's really, I, I've had to learn a lot of things the hard way because I wasn't very good at them. And, and you know, the, like the first couple of years in um, in Foodworks in particular were really hard and and Foodworks, in a way, was doing relatively well and growing a lot. And I was doing 80, 90, 100, 110 hours a week. And like, yeah. you know, it's sort of, you, you can, so for a long time, I was just working a lot harder to compensate for all the things I should have been doing and wasn't doing. And that only gets you so far, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. Ultimately, I think that the thing that really helped me is Foodworks really got me out of my bubble. So I've been relatively privileged in my life, like not either like a wealthy bring or anything, but like I've never been without a job or like it's all been, you know, working in a university, you can sort of imagine it's maybe not the most, you know, it's, it's a particular environment. It's really interesting, but it's also very privileged. Mm -hmm. um, and then working in Foodworks, like a lot of our volunteers might have never had a job in their entire lives or uh, I've got all sorts of issues going on. And, you know, lots of people that I would have just from very different walks of life that I would have never had any exposure to, I suppose. And and the thing that really struck me as I got to know these people is how much they have to offer, I suppose. And it, mm -hmm. it, it, it really changes your view on on the value of the value in people and, and the fact that everyone has a lot of value, but we often just, I guess, fail to recognize it. So, so for me, I guess the first step was really, I don't know, toning down my own self sense of accomplishment and capability and, and putting it on par with everyone else, really. 
and then the rest followed from that I, I think fantastic and, then, and there's the humility yeah 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 and and so is there a piece of advice that you've been given in the past that that helped you through that or was it was there anything that stands out Did somebody when you said it was in contrast to what you were 10 years ago have you sort of taken what you felt didn't work back then and applied the opposite to food works yeah well i i my the best the best bit of advice i ever got was also the most annoying one uh, <laughs> okay. at the time um and the advice was just go and do it which at okay. the time i felt was uh, this was uh, right at the start of of um joe and i uh, sort of trying to set this all up um and and some this it was inspired by the real junk food project which is set up in leeds uh, mm -hmm. about eight or nine years ago and we spoke to the guy who who set that up and asked him so you know how, how do you do this how do you how do you do that and basically wanted like a recipe i guess or, or to yeah. sort of learn how to do this and, and and his advice was just go and do it and i was terribly annoyed with that at the time there was such a cop out and <laughs> And uh, but actually, uh, that was the best advice we ever got. However annoying it might have been, because I think mm -hmm. you know we can we can plan too much for things sometimes, and plans uh -huh. never really work out the way you think anyway. And experiencing what you're trying to do, and then building in ways to sort of do things, then learn from them, and sort of you know iteratively develop your understanding and and um, your models and things like that is so valuable. And yeah, so I've become much more of a well, of a risk taker, I suppose, you know, I, I think it's okay to just live with things that you don't really know exactly how they're going to pan out, but be comfortable with that and, and building ways to still do things, but learn from what doesn't work while you're doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the best piece of advice I was given was nothing's permanent. Just give it a go. Yeah, yeah. Testing and changing and testing and changing. Brilliant. And and is there a leader that you particularly identify with then? Is it either someone from your past or famous or otherwise? Is there a leader that you particularly admire? And if so, what is it about them? Uh, in, in many ways, not. In the sense that I think the the cult of the leader is very much, uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't, I'm not, one who buys into that really i i think leaders are overestimated in in how valuable they are i think um i don't know if you've seen the video this is video i think it's in a ted talk or something about how important the second person is in a movement and um it's uh i think the introduction video is about this big uh, big grass uh field with lots of people in it and one person stands up and does a very weird sort of dance and then nothing happens and then a second person starts up and joins in with the dance mm -hmm. and then when there's two people other people join in as well so so the important being the first person isn't always important the important mm -hmm. person is the person who joins in and i really like that analogy and i think you know leaders are often the face of a lot of valuable things that are happening a lot of talents a lot of efforts that they aren't really responsible for. They are just a face of them. And I think it's really important to, you know, to to be relative about that and to not attribute accomplishments to people who've really not got that much to do with those accomplishments or certainly not just by themselves. So on that basis, sort of, I don't. That There are people that I admire, I guess, because they also work in, in that way. Um, so, so one person I really admires called Jost de Blok. He's um, 
former nurse in um, uh, from Holland, and he set up an organization called Buurtzorg, which is like a neighborhood sort of social care uh, organization. Okay. They're now, I think, one of the largest providers in Holland. They've got 11,000 employees and no management. I love wow. that. Yeah. <laughs> How have they done that? That'd be an interesting. Yeah, that's a question. That's what I'm trying to figure out. But I love, yeah. I love that. So, so a, a lot of it's around principles in sort of you know um, uh, uh, holocracy and sociocracy and like it's difficult to do that. You know, you can't just say, oh, we do everything by committee, and because then nothing happens. And mm-hmm. so, having a good way to give everyone responsibility and independence and and autonomy and and all these things it doesn't happen by itself so i haven't got the answers to that but that's definitely one of the of the people that i'm looking to at the moment to mm-hmm. figure out more of those answers yeah fascinating what's was the name of the organization again uh Buurtzorg. that's a b-w-r-t-z-o-r-g thank you thank you that sounds fascinating and and so in terms of your influences then is there a particular is there a book that you've that you've read or an author you're particularly um interested in is the content that you're consuming at the moment that would either be valuable to the other leaders that are listening or people that are hoping to follow in your footsteps in relation to this books that i've i've read that i really enjoyed and found very useful probably two um one was a long time ago was the fifth discipline by peter senger um which is about sort of systems thinking i'm a great believer in things being complex and interdependent and the value of sort of if you're trying to change things really trying to figure out how how that change can be sort of not superficial with lots of unintended consequences, but be sort of structural and fundamental. So the fifth discipline, I think, is a great book that introduces that. And, and Peter Senga, I think, probably lies at the foundation of sort of systems thinking in, in a lot of ways. So I would recommend that definitely. Um, the other one I've really enjoyed is uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by, oh, I forget his first name now, Kahneman, I think, uh, but I forget his first name which is very much about how people make decisions and how we think we make rational decisions, but how that's perhaps not always true. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So those are, those are two, two books I've, I've really enjoyed reading. Um, at the moment, um, I'm reading some other books. Uh, I obviously have to read Regenesis by George Monbiot because that's sort of a professional obligation, I guess, uh, when you're working in the food system. Uh-huh. Um uh, at night, I read. I often read science fiction just because I enjoy. I don't know, imagining different worlds for different problems. Uh, I'm currently reading *Children of Ruin* by Tchaikovsky, and um, and I play some music as well. So I'm also reading *The Spirit of Music* by Victor Wooten, who's uh, one of my favorite bass players. Amazing. I think it's important to, to contrast. I've spent years just reading for work or reading for study. And I think oh, yeah. it's important to have interests outside of that because you can't, I think, especially if you're reading a novel, you can't kind of be somewhere else, can you? You have to be focused on the book. You can't you can't multitask when you're reading a novel. That's a good good way to switch your brain off, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, and I think that's really tempting, especially when you're in a leadership position at, because work sort of never finishes Mm-hmm. until you say that it finishes there's always something else to do and it's it's important to try and put those boundaries in place to 
refresh your mind and stay sane yeah <laughs> absolutely just before we let you go can you tell us a bit more about what's going to be happening over the next six nine twelve months at foodworks and how people can get involved if they're able to get involved yeah so uh we're as i said we're trying to gear up for um maybe a slightly scary couple of months ahead mm-hmm. i guess in terms of climate change and cost of living crisis uh practically what that means is we're looking for new new sources of food um, so we historically have worked a lot with retailers to uh, redistribute retail store surplus. We are now building partnerships directly with farms, with producers and with wholesalers um, to sort of try and scale up our supply and sort of swim upstream a bit against the uh, declining availability of surplus. Um, we are also just starting a campaign for massive community growing. Um, you know, as I said, the reliance on surplus for food access is a real problem. And so we need to look at alternatives. So we're looking back to World War II um, mm-hmm. campaigns like Dig for Victory, when we were repurposing public spaces to basically grow food together. And Britain's never had a healthier diet as it had then, because we were all growing our food together for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we should be doing more of that again. So uh, we're working very hard at the moment to get something done in Sheffield and to repurpose some of the wonderful spaces we have here for food growing and to see if we can get something going nationally um, mm-hmm. with other organisations and um, cities that are already doing this or wanting to be doing this. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, finally, we're, we're working very closely with the council at the moment, in particular for the winter ahead, to... Um, sort of build a network of spaces where people can be um, warm and welcome uh, like we are. We are ultimately an environmental organisation, I think, but you can't look the other way with the sort of pressing needs that we see emerging in in our city. And so um, we're looking to bring a food offer in a, in a formal sort of uh, the ready meals that we produce into every ward in the city so that will be about 30 locations so that everyone in Sheffield can get some affordable food very close to their home in a space where they can stay as long as they like. Amazing, amazing. And if there are other people that are listening that, that want to get involved that can help, where do they find you? How do they get oh, in yeah. touch? Well, so our website is www.thefoodworks.org. Um, and uh, most information should be on there. Uh, there's definitely a link there uh, that says join, um, where you can look at uh, volunteering or joining us in other ways or make contributions if you want to support us financially. Um, but yeah, mostly if you're in Sheffield, definitely uh, come and uh, just help out. There's loads of options to volunteer. You can cook in our kitchens, try fans to pick up food, help us grow food on our farm plots, uh, run our market, or help us sort the warehouse. There's tons of things to do for any skills and abilities. So yeah, do get in touch. Amazing. Thank you for taking the time to share that with us. And I hope people are able to get in touch and I wish you all the best, but it'd be great to keep in touch. Thanks. It was great talking to you, Amy.